0: specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com.
1: This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
2: What can an entrepreneur teach a non-entrepreneur? What value could a relationship like that even bring? With an open mind, It may help you build for tomorrow. Jason Pfeiffer is the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, but that is not who he is or what defines what he does. Instead, Jason Pfeiffer is a person who tells stories in his own voice. As a successful editor, author, speaker, and podcast host, Jason doesn't work simply with entrepreneurs. He works with all of us through his valuable skill of telling stories that helps us build for tomorrow. But what exactly does that mean? It centers around not panicking when you see change coming or when it has already arrived. The ability to learn to apply filters that can reduce the constant and consistent noise that surrounds us. And the capability to help liberate ourselves from nostalgia and build a new narrative for our lives. Jason lays out three important questions we should ask ourselves if we are to liberate ourselves from nostalgia and build a new narrative for our lives. Additionally, he provides great frameworks, frameworks for utilizing Richard Ryan's self-determination theory and Bethany Frankel's theory of buckets. But one of my favorite topics we covered was at the end when we talked about how LeBron James has this intense focus on making the main thing the main thing please enjoy my conversation with Jason Pfeiffer so mr. Jason Pfeiffer welcome to the emotional balance sheet podcast
1: thank you for having me
2: um, as we were talking about before I hit record um, I've been I'm, I'm lost count of how many years it's been since I've been following your work but um, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on and and people may or may not who you know who you are but you are the um, editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, and yeah. do a lot of other cool stuff, including writing this book, Build for Tomorrow. And what I, why I wanted to have you on is probably a lot of people that listen to my show aren't entrepreneurs. But I've been reading your work for so long that your um, work covers everything. And a lot of, of the people that do listen to the show are busy parents. And Mm -hmm. I know you're a parent and we'll get to that, uh, later on during our conversation. Um, but I wanted to make sure that, that I introduced you to my audience so that they could get a front row seat into, uh, into your work and what you do. So I appreciate you being on.
1: Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. I, uh, am just for context, editor in chief of entrepreneur magazine, and I just do a ton of other stuff. I have a number of podcasts. Uh, I got this book built for tomorrow, uh, that came out in September. Uh, do a lot of traveling, speaking, startup advising. I have two kids, as you said. So, um, and there's some some other things. So I uh, I'm overstretching myself, but aren't we all?
2: <laughs> true, true that. And so I'm gonna put no um, links to to everything you just rattled off uh, in our show notes, so people know where to find your work and how to connect with you, because that's the that's the one thing I love about um you, especially online LinkedIn, is how how we normally communicate with each other mm-hmm. is that you're very responsive um to people and uh, that's that I don't that's not lost on myself nor a lot of the people that follow your work so i'm sure we all appreciate that
1: oh i I, pre- I appreciate that i'm glad it's not lost it's it's you know it's intentional for exactly the reason that you're just describing there being on the other side of it i believe that if you're going to build a community then you need to be reachable and engaging with that community, and it's funny the the easy, the easiest thing that you can do is to respond to somebody. I mean, it literally takes a second, and yet when you do respond to somebody, they they're invested in you. They suddenly they're invested in you a lot more than they they might have been before. They feel like they have a connection to you. Um, they feel like they're a part of your journey in some way. It is. I really, it's, it's you know, it, it you got to do it one by one by one. There's no way to mass scale that. But I think that engaging with people directly is simply the easiest and best way to build long lasting fans.
2: So speaking of engaging, we're going to talk a lot about the the Build for Tomorrow book today. Sure. And, and where I really wanted to lead off with it is um, you talk a lot about not panicking uh, when mm-hmm. change is coming. So how do you not panic when change is coming or has already arrived?
1: Well, so the context there is that the book argues, built for tomorrow, the book argues that change happens in four phases, panic, adaptation, new normal, and wouldn't go back. And my argument is that everybody experiences all four of these these phases. The thing that is the difference maker is that some people are able to move through them faster than others. And that is in part because... That first phase panic everybody experiences it, right? I mean, you know, you're. I'm not here to tell you that you shouldn't panic or that you won't panic. You will. I've panicked, but rather that I think incredibly adaptable people use that panic to drive towards the future. They what they are concerned about is that the thing that they used to do doesn't work as well anymore, and they are panicking that they don't know the answer to what is next. But a lot of other people will panic because they feel like they're losing their grip on the thing that used to work. And therefore, what they will do is try to hold on tighter to it. They will look backwards instead of looking forwards. So the panic is going to be there. I I cannot give you any words that will remove panic from your life. But what I can do is tell you that you can utilize that in one of two directions, either backwards or forwards.
2: So... Let's stay on that for a second. When it sure. comes to working through backwards or forwards. Obviously we, we want to work forward, mm-hmm. but t- let me compa- let me start with the backwards part. Sure. How do we how do how do we and I know you probably give a few examples in the book and feel free to 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 go
1: with one, but mm-hmm. how do we not go backwards? So it starts by recognizing or at least hypothesizing what gain can come from the change. We are built, the human brain, to guard against loss. Decades of psychological research have confirmed loss aversion theory which shows that people are more concerned with protecting against loss than they are with gaining something. And we will, we will process things as loss, even if they are gains, which is crazy, but we do it. I've done it many times myself. I mean, how many times have you scored some kind of victory, but then you realize the victory could have been larger and therefore you feel, uh, I, I, (laughs) I, I bought, I got a, I got a hot tip to, Buy Bitcoin when it was at four thousand dollars a Bitcoin years ago, and I bought two of them. And then at um, when it, when Bitcoin was at sixteen thousand dollars, I said, "I think can't possibly go any higher than this," and I sold, <laughs> and uh, so I made money. Right? I made actual yeah. money. But then, of course, it went to like $60,000 of Bitcoin. And I I experienced loss. All I could do was focus on how much money I could have made. I felt like I had lost imaginary money that I never made by because I, I sort of was counterfactual thinking and I, I was comparing my own reality against what could have happened. So that is what we need to do is recognize that our natural instinct is going to be to identify loss, that when change comes, it is going to make us feel like we do not have access to the thing that we were comfortable with from before and we are going to then process that as loss and then start to extrapolate that loss and imagine all the other things we're going to lose because we've lost this one thing, right? I lost this, therefore I'm going to lose this, therefore I'm not going to be as relevant, therefore I'm not going to understand this, therefore nobody's going to want to talk to me and instead what we need to do is start to hypothesize gain. What does the gain look like that's coming out of this thing that's happening now? Some gain will come, I guarantee it. So the question is what is it? What can you learn? What are you better positioned to do? Who do you know now or whatever the case is? And then start to start to ask yourself questions like what am i doing like Like what habit or skill am I learning as a result of this new thing? And how can that be put to good use? Once you're able to start focusing on what potential gain can come out of a shift, you can start to explore those options and see which one is actually going to drive new value for you.
2: Does that take some of the fear out when you start exploring those various options?
1: I think it does because it gives you something to do. So much of the challenge here is that when when change happens whether or not we initiate that change ourselves or not we we almost feel like we're throwing ourselves into a fast-moving moving river and the the river's going to take us where it's going to take us that's how it feels and as a result we feel like we have lost a sense of control we have lost some autonomy and we need that we need that sense of a control we we need that sense that we have a choice over what happens next. If we don't have that, we are dissatisfied. And so, when you start to hypothesize gain, one of the most important things that you're doing is just putting yourself back in the driver's seat. If I have three ideas on how I could take what's happening to me right now, some kind of change happening, and and do something productive with it, well, that gives me something to do. It gives me something to test. And that by itself is incredibly incredibly valuable you know there, there is I mean just to bring in another another kind of tenet of psychology is is um uh, is um oh, oh my gosh now I'm blanking on the name of it it is uh, self-determination theory self-determination Ryan, theory
2: Ryan um, um professor Ryan from uh, University of
1: Rochester, right uh, behind self-determination theory
2: yes I right? Richard Ryan Richard Ryan yep.
1: Maybe, um, uh, I don't think is one of the, the, the creators of self-determination theory, but maybe is a, um, active proponent of it. Uh, self-determination theory. I'm looking it up to see, uh, was, um, oh, oh, Richard, Wright? You're right. You're right. I take it back. I take it back. Yeah. Um, uh, I've, wrote, I've reached out to him because I wanted him. To, I wanted him on the show too. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, Edward. So it was Desi and Ryan. Edward Desi, Desi Ryan, and, yes. and Richard Ryan wrote a book called "Self-Determination and Intrinsic Motivation and in Human Behavior." And uh, so, right, so what they argue is, which I guess you're familiar with, is that, uh, is that basically people need three things in order to be happy. What they need is autonomy, competence, and relatedness, which is to say uh, they need to have a feeling that they are. Um, that they are uh, in control and and um, and um, left to make decisions. That they have a competence. That they have a kind of some some level of mastery over the thing that they're doing. And relatedness. That they feel connected to other people. And I, I it's, it's such a brilliant framework because every time that I have thought back to when I have been dissatisfied in my life or my career, I think I, I can recognize. Oh, I didn't feel like I had autonomy in that moment. Uh, I didn't feel like I had competence in that moment. I mean, I I could think back to a magazine that I worked at that I was deeply unhappy about, and uh, why why was I unhappy there? Uh, the reason was because I didn't. I had two bosses that couldn't agree on on um, what they wanted in the magazine, which meant that I never felt competent because I never felt like I could understand what they wanted, and therefore all my stories were rejected or they were they were edited to death or something, right? And and then also, I didn't feel like I had autonomy because I was basically doing somebody else's thing. And then because I was dissatisfied in those ways, I really didn't have relatedness either because I didn't know how to connect with my colleagues because I was so dissatisfied. And so when we can give ourselves those things back, uh, we start to put ourselves back in the driver's seat. I mean, to bring back what I'm talking about is trying to recognize and identify gain. When you recognize and identify gain, you're moving towards something. You're giving yourself some level of autonomy. Now you are in control of what happens next.
2: Yeah, and I think I, I, one of the reasons why I've really gravitated to your work over the years, too, and and ironically, this is I think what one of the main themes of of this show has turned out in the last almost two and a half years. I've been hosting it has been transitions and how we really underestimate. All of the life transitions that we actually go through, like even like this year, my triplet's going from you know grade school to middle school. big transition affects all of us. Um, mm-hmm. and what i what I really find in your work is that you're able to help identify again what some of those life transitions are and give some concrete ways of like how to get through it. Probably one of the best examples that you talk about or have walked people through is like career transitions. Like when you get let go of a job, mm-hmm. um, you know, for most of us, that's our our livelihood, our friends, a lot of relationships yeah. are wrap, wrapped up in that. And we lose that sense of autonomy. It, it, the, the things you just mentioned with the self-determination theory. Um, yeah. What I guess where I wanted to go with that is when you're dealing with these, these life transitions that seem like they are constantly thrown at us. Um, again, it kind of goes back to, to panicking. How, how do you, from, um, from your research on this topic, be able to pull the, the, the curtains back and help identify, you know, what's important, what's not important?
1: So, I think it has to start by recognizing what your core transferable value is. You just described being laid off from or fired from a job and then feeling totally disoriented. And the reason that happened, I mean, there are a lot of reasons that happens, but I think one of the core ones is that we identify so closely with our work so that we. Shape our identity around the tasks that we do or the role that we occupy. And the problem with that is that those things are so changeable. Uh, it doesn't uh, might only it might just be one person above you who decides that you don't belong there, and then your whole identity gets ripped away. I mean that's a very unstable place to be. So how instead can you start to understand the thing about you that does not change in times of change? I argue that everybody should have a mission statement for themselves, and that mission statement should be a short sentence that starts with I, in which every word is carefully selected because it is not anchored to something that is easily changeable. What is that? Well, for me, my sentence is not, I am a magazine editor. That is very easily changeable. All it takes is somebody else at Entrepreneur or somebody above me at Entrepreneur. CEO or the president to say, I don't like this guy anymore. And then that's it. Uh, My identity is not, I am a book author or I am a podcaster. Those things are changeable. Or maybe I make a podcast and nobody wants to listen to it. My idea is, here's my my mission statement for myself. I tell stories in my own voice. I tell stories, stories, not magazine stories, not podcasts, not books, not whatever. And then in my own voice, Which is to say, I am setting the terms by which I am operating. I have reached a point in my career where I'm not interested in carrying the ball for someone else. I am interested in defining things myself. I have this exercise that I walk people through when I give talks. Uh, You know, a a company will hire me to come in and talk to their team um, as they're in the midst of a transition. And I present them with this and I tell some stories about people who've gone through it and myself and how I got to that mission statement for myself. And then I give them an exercise. And it is fascinating to hear people's thoughts afterwards. They all come up to me at all all levels, right? Um, From junior folks to very, very senior folks. And they've thought about it and they have some answer, right? And their their answer is is awesome, right? Their answer is always... um, uh, I help teams, uh, you know, achieve the the, the greatest possible outcome. Um, I uh, I am a solver of complex problems, or wh- whatever it is that people say. And once you recognize that in yourself, you have given yourself unbelievable freedom to articulate your value in endless possible ways. So you got laid off from that job, okay. Well, that job was just one articulation of the thing that you're really, really good at. Now it's time to find another one and and maybe an upgraded one. Maybe there were things about working at that job that you weren't actually all that happy about. Now you get to hit reset and take a little more control and shape things based on who you are now rather than who you were a couple of years ago when you got that job. And you're going to do it guided by the mission statement that you have built for yourself. So
2: one of the other... Pieces of the of the book I wanted to pull out and have a conversation on is mm-hmm. to have you walk us through these three questions that that you identified that we need to ask ourselves, which um, you know, in my from my standpoint, helps us to liberate ourselves and form a new narrative for our lives. Can you can you pull that apart for us?
1: Uh, I have a couple places in the book where I have three a set of three questions. Which which one are you referencing? Can you uh, read them out to me?
2: I didn't actually write them down, so <laughs> I'll let I'll let you choose. <laughs>
1: uh okay, interesting. Well, um, so uh, let me think of what you might be referencing here. So w- one of the ones that I I think is really important is is something that I I kind of referenced earlier, but I'll just say because it is actually three questions, which is that when we're going through a change, we ask. Number one, what new thing is happening? Number two, what new habit or skill am I learning as a result? And then number three, how can that be put to good use? Um, uh, I, you know that that that's a really good way to to focus on what value is in front of you. Um, another one that I really like, which I it comes out of me researching. <laughs> the starting point was that I was curious about. Do you remember Donald Rumsfeld during the lead up to the Iraq invasion, he was being questioned by reporters about something or other. And he went on to this little tangent that people made fun of him for about how there are no known knowns, there are known unknowns, and there are unknown unknowns. Yes. And, um,
2: and, You've written about this several times.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, because I find it really interesting because it was like everybody made fun of it. But I looked into it because I was just curious, what is it? Because it didn't seem like a thing that you just say off the top of your head in a press briefing, and it's not. It's from this thing called the Johari Window, which is a self-assessment tool from the 1970s that has become very popular in military circles because it helps evaluate, uh, you know, what what about a situation is knowable and what about a situation is unknowable. And I realized that there are there are ways to apply this directly to ourselves, right? I mean, if we are if we're grappling with a change or we're, you know, we're, we're trying to explore a new direction, it's really worth asking ourselves, like, what what do I know that other people know? What do other people know that I don't know? And what do I not know other people know? Uh, right? Because right, it's like, because you, you start to think, okay, my competitors know something, Um, let's say that I'm, I mean, I think about this all the time because I'm, I'm kind of in the personal branding space. So, you know, I look at people who are doing a really good job of that and have millions of followers and I think, okay, well, what do we both know? We both know the importance of building community. Um, what do they know that I don't know? Well, clearly they know how to structure a team in a way that, Creates content that drives audience. Like I, I, I do that myself, but they have a whole team. I don't have anybody, so they know how to do that. I should figure out how to know how to do, how to know that. Um, but then, what, what do they know that I don't even know? They know uh, like what 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 is what is happening that isn't illuminated because I can't really be successful and I can't really recognize opportunity if I don't know what I don't know. And so how am I going to solve for that problem? I mean, that's some of these, The the what do they know that I don't know? That's one problem to solve. I can go and ask people, well, how did you structure your team? But that by itself is not the answer because there are also things that they're doing that I am just flat out unaware of. The, maybe the things that matter most are the ones that I am flat out unaware of. And if I want to understand how to be successful in a particular space? I better know that, which means that I need to start asking real questions and putting myself, uh, you know, in in maybe uncomfortable situations where uh, where I'm, I'm trying to get answers. Um, these kinds of frameworks, I I think hell, They they shouldn't. They can be panic inducing because it can be like, oh my god, there are all these things that I don't know. But they're 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 practical. They they lead to practical steps, which again goes back to giving me autonomy.
2: <laughs> there's so much to unpack there but i know i only have you for a limited time um so that just means we'll have to come back and have this conversation um sure. let me let me ask this question it it's mm-hmm. somewhat related and i know you talk about this in the book and then in, in a lot of your writings as well and i think this applies to busy parents mm. which is you which is me, which is a yeah. lot of people that listen to, to. to I think, probably the, to both of us or read both of us, Yeah, it, which is, how can we help ourselves filter out the noise that constantly surrounds us?
1: Well, it's a really uh, good question and a hard thing to do. It's easier to talk about than it is to do. The very first thing that comes to mind as you ask that is this conversation that I had with Bethany Frankel years ago, Bethany Frankel being a former real housewife yeah. who then started Skinny Girl and has just built a whole lot of very successful brands. And we were talking about time management. Um, she herself is, is also a parent. And she was telling me how she's like to think, she's, she's, she's come to this way of thinking about time management through what she calls the theory of buckets. And the theory of buckets is that You can have a unlimited number of buckets in your life, but you have a fixed amount of water with which to fill the buckets. So how do you want to distribute that water? You could have 30 buckets, each with a tiny amount of water in it, or you could have four buckets that you're filling close to the top. And you know what she said is like look I, I she you could spread yourself really thin you could spread that water out but like if you're just putting a little bit of water into all these buckets the buckets aren't getting you anything they're not really driving any significant opportunity they're not you know, there's nothing to build upon it's not making you money so one of the ways that she thinks she she has been successful is by eliminating buckets by just thinking about what is it that I shouldn't be doing right now that is taking some of the water that really belongs somewhere else and that's a really nice way to think about it. And I, I mean, I certainly uh, i am often in, in situations where I'm, um, you know, I don't know, I'm working late at night or like last night, my, my wife and my son were watching uh, Wednesday, which is what all <laughs> the kids love. And, um, and I wasn't down there with them. I was up in my home office, uh, like working. And, um, Part of that is, frankly, I I don't really care that much about television, so I don't really want to watch Wednesday. But I was missing out on the, you know, sort of bonding moment, and um, and and I definitely was thinking at the time. I was like, you know, I'm doing a whole bunch of stuff that possibly doesn't matter right now, right? Like some of it matters, but some of this stuff I'm engaging with or I'm working on some project that's probably not going to go anywhere, or like because I've been doing this for a long time, and like, what would happen if I just eliminated some of this stuff uh, and 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 freed up time that I could. I could use in more valuable ways.
2: You know just listening to you talk about that and going back to the point that you made earlier about having your own mission statement you, that's one of the pivots that that I've made as a financial advisor and working with the families that I do is when when I start meeting with a new family or even you know existing families and I'm putting together you know their wealth management plan if you will most people have this stereotype of Financial advisors, all about numbers, picking stocks, Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. And I've really tried to reposition myself and look at, okay, let's define what is your family, what's your family purpose or ideals? And then below that, well, what are the objectives you want to achieve? And then below that, your action items. So what what I found, and I think what you've laid out, which is why I wanted to have you on and uh, like... I think people like the show because the the people that come on such as yourself give concrete action items that you probably gave four or five things that people could take away and do things in their lives today and start making a difference, and I think one of them is this tying back to if I've got my purpose to line right, then I know what buckets to fill,
1: yeah yeah, I think that's I think that's a really nice way to um to apply that because. I mean, the, the mission statement is the source code and everything that you do should flow from the direction that you're giving yourself. And if you do that, then you will maximize the thing that you're most focused on because you understand that it matters. Uh, LeBron, I had a friend who worked with LeBron James um, and he said LeBron would always like to say, make the main thing, your main thing and, uh, uh, or make your main thing, the main thing, whatever it was, something like that. And, um, right. And it's like, you know, for LeBron, that's basketball, like every opportunity flows from him being really good at basketball. And so he's going to make sure that that main thing is his main thing, but what is it for, what is it for someone else? Uh, everyone's got a main thing. And if you can make your main thing, your main thing, then you make sure that your priorities are set.
2: So I promised you that I would have you out of here in 30 minutes. So I've got I've got one last question and I've got sure. one minute. So good luck trying to answer this one. Oh boy. In a minute, which is, um, I know you're the father of of, of uh two young boys. And I yeah. this is my closing question. I ask all my guests that are obviously parents, but what is the best thing about being a parent?
1: <laughs> uh my boys are young, so I feel like you're going to have to come back to me later and I'll, maybe I'll have, maybe I'll have some clarity of mind. Um, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to answer this from a work perspective. Um, I was worried that having kids would, would, um, make it, would sap my time and energy such that I was not able to advance my career. And, you know, I'll, be totally honest with you because i'm sure it'll ring true to um, every ambitious person who has kids uh, there are plenty of times in my life where i am frustrated that i'm not able to do something um or do or or give as much attention to some work-oriented thing because the kids take up a lot of time um but what i have found is that uh the the, the fact of it is that my career has advanced rather significantly since i've had kids and um and I think that that's in part because uh, what what having kids does is it it really forces you to prioritize and to structure your life in a way that you didn't have to do before, um, and um, and that that is a, that's pretty clarifying for every part of your life.
2: Um, I think it goes back to what you just said: making the main thing the main thing, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and kids become a filter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally true. Well, Jason, um, I can't thank you enough for for taking the time. I know you get bombarded with requests like this all the time, so it's a, it's a real pleasure and an honor to have uh, have you on and have this conversation. And like I mentioned, um, I'll have uh, the show notes chucked full of links to all your work, and especially the the book Build for Tomorrow, which um, I'd be remiss to say I know I said this before we started recording, but my daughter Madison wanted to make sure I thanked you for sending her the, uh, the autographed copy that would uh, go in her book. So uh, she's looking forward to reading it.
1: Oh, I'm so glad. Well, shout out to Madison. I really
0: appreciate that. And, um, and thanks for having me. Thanks, Jason. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of TamaCapital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast.